If there's a single franchise among the 122 in the major leagues, NFL, NHL, and NBA that best represents what we as Americans say we value most, it can only be the San Antonio Spurs. They're steady, classy, humble, loyal, unselfish. Parker cross court green, another open look. They're the guys you'd want your daughter to bring home. They're the best antidote to the age of the me-first mercenary superstar, to teams assembled at the trade deadline and in free agency. Most important, they're winners. If this franchise were a person, how would you describe its personality? Um, just steady and consistent. Just steady and consistent. We, uh, uh, there's not a whole lot of flash to us. There's not a whole lot of, uh, of change to us. But you know what we're bringing to the table every time. Everybody puts the team first, uh, is only concerned with winning, hard work, improving one day at a time, and trying to reach that ultimate goal of winning a championship. None of this is a startling revelation. After all, no other team in any of the four major sports has enjoyed sustained excellence for so long. They've won at least 50 games a season for 14 consecutive years. How does the organization, you know, on a day-to-day basis, maintain its standards of excellence? Uh, be consistent. Uh, I think Pop's got a great uh, phrase, you know, with that with that, that rock, you know, that rock and hammer, and uh, always pound on that rock, and um, always make sure, you know, we we stay. Uh, like on, on top of everybody. So I think Pop is so great, you know, when, when uh, before me and Manu arrived, they were playing a lot of half court and it was every ball to Timmy and Dave and everything was inside. It was basically a half court team. And then I arrived, uh, Manu arrived, Pop had a couple heart attacks with me and Manu were going crazy and penetrate, so he had to adjust a little bit. Spurs consistent success is the kind of thing, you know, they teach in business schools. You know, this, this is the model. Why doesn't it spark the same kind of interest, you know, the public at large and the national media? Yeah, I'm not, I don't know that we know how to answer that. I don't, I don't think we worry about it too much. Um, it's not the reason why we're working together. In, you know, our interest is trying to get better and enjoy the journey and, and be around people who we enjoy. You know, when you're together 150, 200 days a year, People always say we're a boring team to watch. We don't, we're not usually making the Sports Center top 10 or the highlight reel unless it's someone like me getting dunked on. So, you know, guys, we go out there and execute. We just keep it simple, that's why. And I think everybody obviously loves the flashy plays and the highlights, the alley-oops, the one-on-one games. And we don't do the celebrations after the baskets. We keep it simple. I think that's why you know, people don't watch as much or care to see it on TV as much. If our team was in New York and we'll win three champions in five years, we'll be rock stars. But, but like our fans, they're so good, and and I love the city. I love the people here. They they're so friendly and they, they love us so much. It's very they're very passionate about the Spurs. You know, we're the only sport in town. We have no hockey team, no baseball team, no football team. So the love that we get here in San Antonio, I will not exchange it with nothing. It's just. I love it here so much that after my career, I want to stay here. I want to, I want to live here, and I just love the city. Once you've been to San Antonio, you can't go back to Paris. Yeah, it's funny. It sounds crazy when you say it like that, but everybody stays here. Like Bruce Bowen is still here, David Robinson is still here, Sean Elliott is still here, George Gervin is still here. And of course, so is Tim Duncan. Everything else would be irrelevant if Duncan were a different kind of person. If, like Shaquille O'Neal and LeBron James, to name two prominent examples, he jumped at the first chance to play for a team in a major market. We've just been blessed to kind of stay together and kind of stay healthy, and and over the years we've we've uh, we've grown and we we know each other and we know what we want to do, and if we can keep that uh, in the system and uh, everybody buying into the system, um, it, it makes us that much better. Hello and welcome to another State of the Franchise edition of the Double Clutch Podcast, where today we will be discussing the San Antonio Spurs. I'm Matt Bates, and today we have host and our resident Spurs fan, Mr. Andy Duncan. Andy, how are you this evening? I'm very good. It's uh, good to be back on the end of the mic after um, lots and lots of travel in the last few weeks. So um, I'm home for three weeks. I'm so chuffed. It might not sound like much, but I'm home for three weeks and I'm well chuffed. Well, I know you're home for, home for three weeks, and I know you're an avid video game player. Is there anything coming out in the next few months that 
with this English so-called summer, which we are having nice, but I'm sure it's going to change. Is there anything that we should be staying in to play? Um, well, we have a question later on, because if you're a PlayStation Plus subscriber, um, NBA 2K13 is currently free. Um, so I would highly recommend that. But the game I've been playing most since I got back was Pikmin 3 on my Wii U. Right. That means nothing to me, but I'm sure hopefully it means something to... Uh, I'm sure it will. Any, any Nintendo fans will know what Pikmin is. Right, cool. All right, well, let's get to the San Antonio Spurs. Andy, obviously you're the, a Spurs fan, our resident Spurs fan. Why and when did you become a fan of the Spurs? Um, why is is a bit silly, to be perfectly honest. Um, and the reason for that is being based in the UK... You don't have the affiliation you have if you're living in the States. You know, obviously, living in America, the majority of the people are proud of their hometown and they support local teams. Or if you don't have um, an immediate local team, whatever's in your state. So, for example, I know a bunch of people who live north, south, east and west of Minnesota, but they all support the Timberwolves, which kind of makes sense. Being in the UK, you don't have that. And and growing up in the 80s, yes, I know some of you weren't born then, um, <laughs> I was, like everybody else, a fan of Jordan and the Bulls and Pippin and Rodman. Um, but then I kind of shied away uh, towards the, the mid to late 80s and early 90s because that's when I went to college and that's when I got interested in girls and alcohol. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then, um, in general, I started watching... Um, basketball uh, kind of heavily in, in the mid-90s and um, one year in particular the 96-97 lottery is where I became a San Antonio Spurs player, uh, fan um, the reason being and this is why it's come silly is um, I had heard there was a player and at the time you didn't know anything about him called tim duncan uh, yeah he rings a bell i'm sure he might ring a bell too and obviously my surname is duncan so mm-hmm. i conveniently and affectionately nicknamed him my brother from another mother <laughs> and um he could have gone to any team that particular season because the season before the spurs i think had the second or third worst season um but they won the draft pick and they picked Timmy Duncan as the number one pick. And ever since then, I've been a Spurs fan. And it's purely because of a player's name. I know that sounds rather silly, but that's my reason. Um, I've gone to see them twice now. I've actually gone to see the Orlando Magic and the Miami Heat more than I've gone to see the Spurs. Um, but that's just because how my travels have gone. Um, but yet, that's when it started for me. Well, I think that's a more valid reason than majority of people in the UK supporting teams. Because even if it is a, a silly reason as the same second name, but if you're going to have a second name, I guess Duncan now is an NBA royalty surname. So yes, exactly. that works out all right. Right, well, we'll start off this state of the franchise just by a brief history of the Spurs, just for people that don't really know the history that much and people that do can just rejog your memory the spurs moved to san antonio in 1973 from dallas and they were playing in the aba which was the american basketball association which was set out to rival the nba but it all went to pot and a few teams including the spurs merged with the nba in the 78 season and the spurs were spearheaded by George the Iceman, Gervin and his patent finger rolls and he's been named the top 50 players of all time. But after his prime, the, the dog days really did come until 1989 where they drafted David Robinson who once did score 71 points in one game, which is incredible. But it's it was against, unheard of nowadays. It, <laughs> but really it was, is unheard of. But it was against the Clippers, so... I don't know how much you want to take away from that. Uh, but still, po- 71 points is 71 points. Yeah. it's If you think of it, splitting it by quarter, it's just ridiculous. Uh, a few playoff runs 
came, but nothing nothing really that major, apart from in the mid-90s. They did get to a few Western Conference finals, but got shot down by Akeem Elijah-1's Rockets. Uh, but then the franchise, as Andy's mentioned, in 97 did dramatically change, and that was, of course, with Tim Duncan, uh, who was the number one pick of that year. Arguably the best power forward ever. Uh, with the Twin Tower lineup, uh, it didn't take long for a championship to arrive in 1999, the lockout season. They... Just to elaborate on that, the Twin yeah. Towers obviously being Robinson and Duncan, uh, yeah. two very athletic forward slash centers. Uh, if one wasn't blocking your shot, the other was. And they got nicknamed the Twin Towers because of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And then 1999 season, two two years in for with the Duncan era, they defeated the Knicks in five games. Uh Parker, Ginobili, obviously two international players that will come up in this podcast. They cemented themselves as a new look Spurs, not until the third championship, but in the second championship, 2003. Duncan really cemented his role as the leader of the team with Robinson still putting up great numbers, but he's taken a back, he took a back seat, which was very, which is a bit unheard of nowadays. When you look at Kobe, he's never really going to take a back seat. But then, in fairness, you, you didn't have a doppelganger for, for Kobe, if that makes sense. Um, for, for example, Robinson w- was at the peak when Duncan got drafted and then started fading just because of age, as players do. Whereas if you would have had a Kobe and instead of getting a Dwight Howard, let's say by some sort of miracle a LeBron James went, you, you may have seen that transition happened from Kobe to LeBron because that's that's a similar sort of stature in terms of their players but you're right Kobe wouldn't take a back seat and and Robinson didn't necessarily take an immediate um, back seat it was purely just because he was getting less and less minutes because he was quite fatigued because he was getting on in his career yeah and yeah in his last year they did win the championships against the Nets in 03 then in 05, they defeated the, champ- the reigning champions, Pistons, with the new look of the big three with Ginobili, Parker and Duncan. Then once again for their fourth championship, they defeated the Cleveland Cavaliers, which was obviously spearheaded by LeBron. Swept them. Swept them. <laughs> <laughs> and since, since then, they've had a few playoff, early playoff exits, but they've also created a few rivals along the way, being the, the Mavericks, being the Suns, notable Robert Ory. Uh, throw, I should say, to Nash in this Nash to the table, but that's when that's we'll get onto stuff like that in a bit. Uh, but yeah, and then as much recently as a few months ago, they where they made the f- finals once again, and I think I think we should start off with that, Andy. <laughs> we haven't really we haven't really heard uh, on the podcast your reaction to the finals, but we'll start off. Yeah, where do you want to start off? Do you want to start off with game one or the run before? Um. Well, in in fairness, the the run to get there was a, a difficult one. Um, they, they overcame, obviously, a, a limping Lakers, who they ended up sweeping four nil. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> um, before that playoff run started, though, the bit of exciting news that I was really looking forward to and getting more minutes is the fact that they signed Tracy McGrady, and in his day, I thought he was such a phenomenal player to watch. Him and Allen Iverson, for example, were just such exciting players. And he barely featured in, in the uh, the playoff run. He, I was so disappointed not to see him get a run out. Um, but yet, the as you've mentioned, the Spurs met the Heat in the finals. And it was... A phenomenal series. Oh, yeah. a- Even though we didn't win, no. which is the first time in franchise history the Spurs have lost in the finals. Every other time they have won when they've got to the finals. Um, it was such a roller coaster ride. We were maybe 30 seconds away from winning the game, uh, sorry, winning the series in game six, and then. Ray Allen knocked down the most outrageous three-pointer um, with, I think it was maybe five or six seconds left in the game to push it into overtime, which then the Heat won. And in Game 7, the Heat in the third and fourth quarter really started pulling away. Their, their young athletic players were the difference in that Game 7. And I can't take anything away from either team. As much as I didn't get 
the result that I wanted. It was such an exciting seven-game series. Probably one of the best I've seen, period. You know, granted, we can all sit and relish, you know, sweeping a team like the Lakers 4-0, but a game seven against Miami, I just thought that whole series of games was far more enjoyable than a 4-0 sweep. No, yeah, as you've already pointed out, I think it was definitely top two in my eyes finals that I've ever watched, but probably the best since I've been older and I can understand the game a lot more. I thought, yeah, it, they, I don't think you could have gotten in more evenly matched finals. And from an evenly matched finals, you can get so many little things that you can pick on, like coaches, how they're coaching, different different things that they're throwing out there. You just pick up on so many things like that when it's so even and it becomes more of a more of a war. Definitely not just on the court, but obviously with the coaches, as I said before. But yeah, it was absolutely a fantastic, fantastic uh, finals. Uh, started off by Tony Parker's 23.9 possession, game winner in game one. Green now, Bosch has him. Parker on the drive, nearly lost it, still dribbling. Parker with two to shoot. Just gets it off in time, and he banks it in. What a shot from Parker. Falls down. That looks good. That was sensational. The way he dribbled, slipped, fell, ducked underneath LeBron James and put a floater in at the buzzer. It was just one of those shots that nine times out of ten misses, hits the rim, comes back out. Everything went for them in that particular game. I definitely think four out of ten times you don't even get the shot up. This is very true. (laughs) And when you slip and fall over, you normally lose the ball or give a turnover. Whereas everything for him in that just it went so well, it really did. And then through the finals, we got the emergence of Leonard, obviously playing defense right from the get-go. But Danny Green had an amazing stretch throughout the finals, scoring the most three-pointers ever in a final series. And I know we'll definitely get onto their future, but that was incredible to watch when Danny Green was just knocking shot after shot down from behind the arc. It was raining freeze, <laughs> you know. But the, the thing is, Miami came straight back as well. Yeah. Miller was nailing a three, and then Danny Green would go and nail a three. And it went tit for tat for, I think it was five or six possessions. And it, it was a, a joy to watch. Even though you were conceding, you were also scoring at the same time. And ev- everything that you could arguably want in a basketball game and in a, a series like that, you got. You had the physicality of the player front. You had the silky skills. You had excellent fast breaks, quick possessions, alley-oops, and then Tony Parker, all the assists that he done, that, <laughs> that layup that we just spoke about, everything, everything was in this game, in the whole series. Yeah, and then, as you've already mentioned, the... I wouldn't really say the choke or anything like that. And I know we've discussed it on the pod a lot, but game six, they're getting the trophy out. They're getting the ribbons ready. And then Ray Allen, as you said, makes that. I, I think that we talk about Parker's one in 10. I think that's a one in 50, that shot. But they did come back strong in game seven. It was a close game. It wasn't a blowout or anything like that. And Quan Leonard, I know he did miss a few free throws in in the dying seconds of game six, but he obviously showed maturity and he came out tick for tat with LeBron on both ends in game seven. But obviously it wasn't, it wasn't any, it wasn't enough. And LeBron did take over. What was your initial, I want to know what your initial reaction was when they had lost. I'm sh- well, in, in fairness, that, that fourth quarter was edge of the seat stuff for, for any fan of either team for the neutral. It's just exciting to watch. But when you see, Tim Duncan go into the paint and he does his little pump fake and he banks it off the glass. That's normally automatic for Timmy D. Yeah. He, it's on. I, I don't recall him ever missing two of those shots in a row. Whereas he did. And you've mentioned about people choking and whatnot. I just think he took over and, and that's his shot. And 98 times out of a hundred, He's going to put those in. It just so happened the two that he misses were there and they were consecutive in that fourth quarter. Um, LeBron then scored uh, an outrageous jump. So he was guarded by two players. Ginobili 
I believe, got a steal off uh, a Miami inbound, but then Tim Duncan fouled LeBron for going in a bit too hard. LeBron nailed his free throws, and that that was it. You know, four points, can't recover that, and it was... It was gutting to see, but that's what sports are all about. The things that you take for granted, the things being automatic you know for example um i can't quite remember what quarter it was in um but wade went up for a dunk and he missed you know how many people miss a dunk you know it doesn't happen very often but he missed um and and those sort of things that you take for granted just with a difference and i can't take anything away from miami the way they came back in game six and then the close out in game seven Worthy back-to-back champions. Yeah. I'm gutted that the team didn't win, but you can't take anything away from the Heat. You know, any betting man would have put their money on the Heat at the beginning of the finals or at the beginning of the season, and that's what came out. Just the road that we got there in was just sensational. No, it was sad to see someone actually lose that series because it was so neck and neck, and it was just it was brilliant basketball. You can't just say about that. So, well, you mentioned Tim Duncan. Let's get let's get to him then. Tim Duncan and T- uh, Greg Popovich, they are arguably one of the best one-player, one-coach combo in the league. And as you've said, you've been following the Spurs since Duncan came in. What have you seen throughout the years when you've been watching the Spurs for, with that relationship and the emergence of Tim Duncan becoming one of the best players ever? Um, the last two or three years... Um, it's quite amusing when you watch any interview with Pop um, and talking about coaching Timmy. And his, he will turn around and openly admit, I've got nothing more to say to him. He is who he is and he goes out and does it. We make up plays together. He's more like an assistant than a player. And that just goes to show you the rapport that these guys have built over that period of time. I remember the first time I was, uh, seeing him, Tim Duncan would take, in similar fashion to what Bosch does, one or two three-pointers a game. Yeah. Whereas because of his, he's got dodgy knees now. He used to be um, a beast in the paint to the tune of running through players and dunking over the top of them. In the latter years, you very rarely see him dunk. Um, It will either be his patented bank shot off the glass or it will be a pump fake or a finger roll. Very rarely do you see him, but there are glimpses. There are glimpses where he's driving the paint, he does his spin move, and he slams it in. And it's just a throwback to over 10 years of watching him do that, that the man still has it in there, and every now and again he can bring it out of his locker to show you. Yeah, there's, de- there's definitely a great mix on YouTube of Tim Duncan's athletic plays. And if you've only been following the sport since... I, even 10 years now and you wouldn't really have experienced it but it is so, you don't you can't really believe that Tim Duncan would have been that energy well not energetic but that I don't know show that level of athleticism especially through the few years he's still athletic in that but some of the dunks that you see him do over two three men it's just it, he looks like a different player but you can still kind of see it as you said you do see some glimpses of it sometimes but yeah definitely check that out um Tim Duncan he's obviously a beast and down in the low block and stuff like that. But he's also just such a great passer and he's just always so calm and he's, he's been said to be such a great teammate. I don't know. You can just see it through every game. He's always, he's not, he's never selfish. He never tries to really take over the game. He never tries to force it. But what can you say about Tim Duncan about as a teammate from what you've seen? Well, if you look at any, interviews he does he's very very humble in terms of when people are trying to praise him he's always bringing up the 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 positives for all of his players and even when they've had a stinker he will openly admit you know i could have done this or i should have taken over there and and he has an all-round leadership skill where he can praise where he needs to he can be firm when he needs to but then he realizes every now and again that on his day he can be almost indefensible you can't defend against him because he's got such an impressive wingspan and his height 
the amount of times you see him just do that little sky hook over the top of players. And even um, I remember watching them against the, the Mavericks and that sky hook went over the top of Nowitzki trying to block it. It just shows you that the length that he has in his shot. Um, as you mentioned, he passes the ball, he rebounds, he can block. He's not, a spring chicken anymore and I think he's going to see reduced minutes this season more than anything else but what he does do is he coaches the youngsters and he brings all of the fringe players in for example if if you're coming off the bench to replace Manu or Parker that they're pretty impressive shoes to be filling but he will give the guys the ball he won't take over like a LeBron James would take over for the Heat when the bench are on and try and do it all himself. Tim Duncan will spread the field of play and spread that responsibility to everybody else. And I think it takes a certain type of character to be able to do that. It distills a certain aura of confidence in all the other players around him. Yeah, I, d- I definitely think that he's he may not be the top f- he may not be top five best players ever, but I think he's got to be top five teammates ever. You never hear, as you said, you never really hear him complain or say a bad word. But going back to Pop and the system, we've seen we've seen how professionally done the Spurs is because you can see in all different franchises now. You see Danny Ferry, GMs for other all people that have gone through the Spurs system have gone on to better and brighter things in other teams for the NBA, and it's all started with the Spurs and Popovich, and I guess to some extent Duncan. But obviously, recently, well, not really recently, it's going on 10 years now, two more players have emerged and come into the limelight, especially now with the emergence of Tony Parker and Manny Ginobili through the last few years, and international players in general. What can you tell me about, how do you feel about all the international players that have come through and the stars that have been made? In general, we're just talking the Spurs here. We'll talk about the Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> well, t- Tony Parker and, and Manny Ginobili don't really need any more plaudits than than what they've got. Parker, arguably one of the best guards to come out of Europe and out of outside of the US, arguably to date. Yep. Um, the man has just got everything. We've already praised him enough <laughs> earlier in, in the show. Um, Manu Ginobili, he's one of these players, if you go and watch some of his older highlight reels, Manu was a machine at just going hard to the bucket. If you were looking for your top three plays of the day, or you were looking for highlight reel material, Manu Ginobili was the person who was giving that to you. But then the way the international scene has come on board, the the Spurs are, are one of the few teams in the league that have almost a 50-50 split, if not the majority being outside of the US. If you think about all the other teams in the league, the majority of their players are US-based players, whereas the Spurs have got such a flavor from everywhere else whether or not they're going to be of the same caliber as parker and ginobili that's left to be seen for example we've got tiago splitter um who arguably comes in to give timmy duncan a rest now they're both centers i would say splitter is is more physical he has more stature than duncan but he's not in the same league you know he's not going to be a long-term replacement for Duncan. He he potentially could be a starting centre on any other team, but right now, Duncan has, even though with his age, Split is not, he's still got a lot to learn. Um, and I'm sure we'll touch on it a little bit later. The, the disappointing thing, being a San Antonio Spurs player, uh, fan, keep saying player maybe that's on daydreaming is is the fact of their age you know we, we talk about the spurs big three of duncan parker and ginobili but they're all mid mid 30s which is towards the end of your nba playing career um they they need to bring in some talent you know before dwight howard signed with the rockets you know i was reading on a few forums that the spurs would be in for him and if he would have gone there, that would have been the ultimate replacement for Duncan, in my eyes. 
I think it would have been a great fit because he is a player with flaws, but once again, Popovich and the system, I'm sure they, they can, even if a player has got flaws, they can always, I don't know, iron it out to make it not as more noticeable or they can definitely play more to strengths than weaknesses and also obviously adapt to weaknesses. But let's talk about the future now. You mentioned that the age is getting there. They There still is a big three in the Spurs, a lot of people say, and they're saying that Manu Ginobili has been replaced, but I wouldn't really say replaced because it sounds a bit disrespectful, but he's been... I guess Leonard, uh, Kwan Leonard has overtaken him to some extent and is now potentially going to be a star for them. How did you feel about the emergence of him, especially through the finals, Garden LeBron? He was fantastic. He really was good. He, he got drafted and he looked a promising player. He struggled at the beginning of the season, but then he found his confidence um, and I don't think it's been disrespectful to Ginobili at all. He may not start all of the games, uh, Manu this is, but when when you think about it, uh, I think it was three, maybe four years ago, Manu Ginobili was sixth player of the year, and he's he's never really been a starter. He's He's always been referred to as part of the big three, but he very rarely started the game because he leads the second unit and I think that's what works well that he's got almost like the vice captaincy as such you know even though officially it's it's Parker and Duncan who are the captains but very frequently you'll see Duncan and Parker resting and then Ginobili running the second unit now there have been occasions where Ginobili and Leonard have been on the court at the same time which has been Excellent to see. Um, but no, I, I don't think you would be disrespectful to say that um, Leonard is, you know, starting ahead of Ginobili because Leonard is quicker, he's younger, and he's more athletic. So you couldn't really have, as much as the talent that Duncan Parker and Ginobili have, Leonard gives you more pace. Even though Parker's still pretty nippy, Leonard is quicker than Parker over a couple of yards. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think now that, and I think the consensus choice is that it is Parker's team now. And I, I think it's still for a good four, three, four more years that they're definitely in safe hands because he, when he first came into the, into the team, he was Pop's whipping boy. You could see it, but I think it was all in good, good, well, not fun, but all in good manner because he, what Pop really wanted him to do was just, if he thought if he can get on him, get on his back, everything that he does wrong, then he'll learn. And now you look, and he's well, he's he's been a Finals MVP, and he's just a perennial All Star. And there's always been talks of him being an MVP. Yeah, yeah, I I think he'll struggle to get MVP now. I think yeah. he's missed that opportunity because he's had a couple of injuries the last few seasons, and then some of the other players out there that get all the highlight reels, get all the votes. So he'll always be in contention. However, I just don't think he'll win it now. I think he's had his opportunity. But that doesn't take anything away from him being the talent. You're right. I think we will see a lot more leadership from Parker in this coming season than we have done previously because Duncan, I, I strongly believe, will be playing reduced minutes. And as you mentioned... Parker will take over that mantle of leading the team from Duncan. Yeah, definitely. And also, they've also got some other young players, as we've already mentioned, Danny Green, who was obviously amazing in the in a, quite a few games in the finals, shooting the threes. They've also got, I think they've just let go of Neil, but we talk, we'll talk about the free agency now and definitely through Splitter. Splitter got a big, big contract that many people thought maybe shouldn't have been as big, I think it was around the the area of four years, forty million. But as you've said, he is he will be. I think it's going to be great that he'll be taught by Duncan. But four years, forty million, Andy. It's a risk. It yeah. it is a risk. Um, he shows glimpses. That the thing that I don't like about him is he's too inconsistent. That you know when when. Timmy's been out with problems with his knees. 
Split has come to the fold. And the first couple of games, you can see he's really up for it. And then he almost gets this air of arrogance around him that he tries things that he shouldn't necessarily be doing because he doesn't just have that sort of range. He should stick to the fundamentals that Timmy D will teach him and stay at that and not try to be highlight real material not try the fancy stuff just keep it clean and simple and you're right this this season will make or break that decision to offer him such a lucrative contract if he can show the potential that he has then i reckon it's a sensible decision but it is a bit of a risk it's a bit of a gamble and this season will make or break him yeah it, it certainly will but and another thing that they've also brought back, they've obviously brought back the the Argentinian wonder, uh, Manu Ginobili. I think his contract, it's, he's taken a bit of a pay cut, which I think is what he kind of deserved. Obviously, getting a bit too, getting a bit older and that. But I think it's around the, I think it's around the area of three years, seventeen million. I'm, I'm not too sure of the values, but both, uh, well, all three of them, Duncan, Parker, and Ginobili, all signed three-year deals mm-hmm. this year. Um, now, some of these players, you couldn't imagine any of those three guys putting on a different jersey, mm-hmm. right? So I, I was confident that he would stay, and he's the type of player. And this all comes back to help. Popovich looks after and treats everybody. There's such a camaraderie between all of these people that, as you mentioned there, Ginobili's willing to take a pay cut to stay at the Spurs. He could have gone to any number of teams and got more money and probably started every game and probably have been on a max contract for his age. But then he needs to learn a whole new routine, new players, new coach. He may like it, he may not. Whereas now, he's in, a, he's in his routine he knows everything around him. He knows what each of the players are doing and also what Popovich does and what he's like. Yeah, it's two, it was two years, seven, uh, seven million each year. But I, I, I can imagine he'll make another, they'll, he'll get another contract out of that, maybe just for a year or something like that. Um, another thing that people have been saying about the Spurs throughout their whole years of success is that any player can really play in that, in that system. And it's a shame that a lot of players who potentially could be good when they're playing for winners haven't really got the opportunity in that. I don't really believe that. I think that there's a lot of people that... I think there's a lot of players that obviously you bring their skill because Ginobili and Parker are so dynamic that I think wherever they go, then it'll be, they'll be stars. But Danny Green, Gary Neal for some part of the past few seasons, it, does, it is a theory that I do wonder about sometimes. I, I think the Spurs play to people's strengths. And I think the best example on the Spurs roster at that at the minute is Matt Bonner. Yes. Okay, he is um, listed as a forward slash center. But when he's in the paint, he's useless. I, I will tell you that now. He, <laughs> he can't beat a player. But you build a play around him and put him on the perimeter and that boy will nail the shot from beyond the arc. He is an immense three-point shooter. And you don't have that from a big man. Normally, if you've got somebody out on the edge, they're normally mid-six foot in terms of height and stature and could be guarded by like players. However, because he's almost seven foot, it means that it's a different weapon for Popovich to unleash. But yet, their play to his strengths that you will find on occasion him going to the to the paint and he'll try a dunk or he'll try a layup and it's 50-50 if he's going to make it or not. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you put him beyond that arc, he's at least a 75-80% shooter from there. So you make plays and you build to his strengths. And I think that's what Pop does. He looks at players and thinks, you know what, you're average at everything, but you're excellent at three-point shooting. So... We're going to use you as a three-point shooter. We're not going to say, right, you need to guard the paint. You need to sit on the perimeter. Uh, you need to go down to the low post because that's not what he's good at. You could pick any, arguably any player on that roster. You know, you've mentioned Danny Green a number of times. As much as we've 
talked about his efficiency at the three-point shooting. He's also very quick on the dribble, and he's also very good um, driving to the paint, either going for a layup or dishing it out. And that's what they use him for. You wouldn't expect him to run a similar sort of pick and roll as Ginobili, because as much as they're almost the same sort of height and, and stature, they just don't have that skill set between the two of them. No, you're definitely right. And I just want to point out a fact that I, I'm I'm not obviously not a Spurs fan, but I do enjoy watching them, which is not to be said by a lot of people. They've always been called the boring Spurs. And personally, I don't see anything boring about basketball played how it should be played and a team being successful. And I'm sure that really must get on your nerves sometimes when people call them boring. Um, it. it- it does and it doesn't because I can understand why people call them boring because they're not flashy. You know, you you won't see them doing alley-oops to each other like LeBron and, and Wade. You know, you, you won't see them showboating overly much. Um, the, the thing is they stick to what they're good at and they're very professional and very fluid in how they work. And it just comes back to the way that Popovich likes to play. He doesn't play fancy basketball. He plays detailed and efficient basketball. And that's why they get dubbed boring. Because if you watch highlight reels for, for a given week, given month, you'll be lucky if you see Spurs in there. The only time you'll get something like that on the highlight reel is like that Tony Parker shot we spoke about earlier mm-hmm. on. You know, these are the sort of things that just come out every once and again. Or Tim Duncan throwing back the clock and going in for a dunk. It's those sort of things that don't happen very often because they're not all about the flashy flashy. As much as you'll see Leonard driving hard you'll see Ginobili driving hard and maybe you'll see some excellent passing but you won't see the stuff that that makes all those highlight reels and I don't think there's anything wrong with that granted they could maybe do a little bit more have a little bit more razzmatazz and it might wash away that that boring mantle that they've been given but if it doesn't fit into the play and it doesn't fit into the style of Popovich then don't do it yeah, you're, yeah, you're definitely right. The only time you really do see them on the highlight reels, as you said, is it's game winners. And the San Antonio Spurs are going back to the NBA Finals. So, you know, you got to explain to me just how different it is going to the finals now at 31 years old than back when you went to the finals the first time, 21 years old. <laughs> when I was 21, I didn't really realize everything was going so fast, and I was so happy. I didn't really, like realize how hard it is to go to the finals and now I appreciate it more uh, it's been very special the last couple of days uh, a lot of emotions you know to go back with Timmy and Manu and coach Pop uh, it's been an unbelievable ride and uh, I definitely don't take it for granted now last year it looked like you might be able to get here but then you guys lost in the Western Conference finals and you grabbed Tim Duncan at that point and you said to them what we were all sad in the locker room, very sad, and I saw like Timmy in Timmy's face, like, you know, we don't know when it's going to be your last chance to have an opportunity to, to win the championship, and so I told him, I promise you, I'll work hard this summer and we'll be back, we'll be back and we'll go back to the finals, uh, because for me, I get emotional when I talk with Timmy because he means so much to my career and he's been such a, a great friend that I would love for Timmy to go out on top, uh, just like David Robinson went on top in 2003, I would love to do the same thing for Timmy. Duncan doubled out to Parker. Parker for three. Tony Parker doing it all. This fourth quarters of these playoffs, you have just taken over. What is going through your head in those assassin moments? I think I, I got, I'm getting better and better to choose my moments, uh, when to be aggressive. For a lot of years, it was Timmy's time, you know, in the fourth quarter. And as the team transitioned to, to me, and, uh, and Pop challenged me, and it became my team, I felt like that's my responsibility to, to be aggressive in those moments and make sure I stay in control, either be aggressive for myself or trying to find a pass for my teammate. Next guy that misses a free throw is going to buy me a new car. I want some nasty! Coach Pop is someone that's hard for a lot of fans to get to know. What can you tell us about him that would probably surprise us? He's like a 
like a father-son relationship. If you play the whole quarter, it'll be 29 minutes. But I'm fine. I didn't even play for three days, Bob. I'm 29 years old. Get back out there. When I first came, I was 19 years old, and he was really tough on me, but uh, it made me a, a better basketball player. And uh, it's hard to put in words what he meant to my career. I will definitely not be the player I am today if it was not Coach Fuck. Being hard. hard on me. Yeah, I mean, he had you in tears at one point. Oh, definitely, difficult. definitely. Uh, my first three, four years, it was tough because coming from France, a different country, and he, were, he wanted me to grow fast. And sometimes I had a hard time because I felt like he was never happy, like he's a hard coach to, to please. But uh, at the end of the day, when I look back at it, he made me uh, very strong mentally, uh, made me a stud, and so now I really appreciate all those moments and all the growing pains. There's a lot of speculation that whenever Tim Duncan does retire, Coach Popovich is going to go right along with him. Yeah, I'm going to fight that. I was going to say, <laughs> can you lobby there? I mean, you'll still be around. I'm going to fight that. I'm going to ask Pop at least two more years, because <laughs> I know they have a very strong relationship, those two. But uh, as the last child of the family, I would like Coach Pop to, <laughs> to last a little bit longer. Another signing that's happened in the free agency with the Spurs is they've signed Marco Bellinelli, and I personally think he's a great fit for the for the Spurs. For as you mentioned, with like a Matt Bonner who can get round, get down and shoot the threes. Not really much of anything a fit, but they'll obviously will be playing to his strengths. We'll- I think he will be getting coached by Parker because I I think they're conscious of the guy's ages, and I think he is going to be molded to play and distribute like Parker. I could be very wrong and they may look to mold him in a similar way um, as they did with Leonard, a basis player on, on Ginobili, potentially. I think he's got enough skill and speed. He's slightly taller than Parker, but he's certainly young and athletic. So I'm not too sure what the long-term objective is for Pop, but I think he'll feature quite a bit. Yeah, especially through this season that's coming. But that's really it for their uh, free agency signings. They didn't they didn't have a draft pick because they're they're winners really. They don't really get to the lottery that much. And then when they do, they stash someone and get an international player that turns out to be a superstar. Um, so it really points down to this season. They've not got much cap space, which isn't really a problem. But was there any moves or anything that you would have wanted to, th- to see them do this free agency? Apart from the Howard thing, um, <laughs> I would have liked to have seen them got a more recognized dominant center. I, I know we've spoken about Splitter, and I've given my thoughts on him being a bit of a risk. Um, Boris Diaw again didn't play much minutes not entirely confident that he would be a good replacement for Duncan so whether or not Splitter can come good um, we'll need to wait and see I wouldn't be surprised if Splitter has a poor season for this coming uh, season that Mm -hmm. there'll be moves in the next trade window for a centre yeah it is a bit annoying when you see that they signed Splitter straight away when free agency hit, but then you saw someone like Paul Millsap go for two years, 17, 18 million to Atlanta. But you've always got to have faith. You can never doubt Pop. And as you said, Splitter may not play that well, but there's always a definite chance that he can live up to that, especially with the surroundings that he's got. Mm-hmm. And the person that I... This is completely random, but on my association for 2K... I, uh, in this this upcoming season, I've played a season and there's a new season coming up on my 2K and this season that's coming up. Uh, they had a good dollar on there and I that really intrigued that really intrigued me that they he, had a good dollar on that. He would be a good fit into that team and that mm. system. But I guess 2K is not really up to date when I he is. I would say that Quan Leonard is a bit Igadola light at the moment and I think he definitely could be molded into somewhere like a lockdown defender that can can run the team a little bit and spot up for freeze but I guess that was just 2k going through that so <laughs> <laughs> let's talk, let's talk about this upcoming season you, we've mentioned the age but I think we should uh, go on it a bit bit more you've already said that Duncan will have reduced minutes I'm definitely sure that Ginobili will as well but how do you think that the rotations and that will come about for the Spurs this season um 
they, they've been very injury prone. All three of those guys that you mentioned were out with lengthy injuries uh, this previous season and the one before that. So um, that's going to take uh, a, a big factor into any sort of thought and analysis. And, and even though Popovich rests his key players when maybe the league doesn't want to, he's constantly being fined for resting Duncan Parker and Ginobili. Um, I think the last one he got was against Miami in the regular season. He got fined because he rested all three of them because the guys are, were knackered. He, he knows how to look after his players and knows when they're starting to feel the fatigue and when they're most likely to be injured. And if the league doesn't like that and he gets fined for resting them, I'm confident in how Pop manages his roster. The only issue I have with that is, as we've mentioned, it's going to sound like a bit of a broken record here. The bench, you don't have the caliber to, to rest a Tim Duncan for two weeks and put a Thiago splitter in and trying to get the same performance because they're two different players. Um, I think the the starting five for the coming season, I think Timmy D will still start. We'll we'll have Parker in there. We'll have Leonard. And from that, you you could pick potentially he might run with Splitter and Duncan. He could maybe have some Danny Green in there as well. Bellinelli will probably get some minutes. That there are a few of them that are in contention for a starting five. I would just really like to see McGrady getting some minutes. I really enjoy him as a player. He probably is nowhere near what I remember him to be like. I just want to see him run the ball a few times. Um, that that would be what, what I would like. The rumor is, and I'm a, I was a massive McGrady fan when he was playing for Orlando. I actually got to see him. I think maybe you did as well when I was in Orlando, but I think he is going back to China, which will be very... But then again, they might pick him up next playoffs. Uh, let's hope so. Uh, moving moving on to that, that the um, I think it's fair to say that the Spurs will be in contention next year, especially for the Western Conference, because this year we did have Russell Westbrook going down for Oklahoma and... Obviously, the Harden trade, people are a bit uh, still annoyed about that for the Thunder. But then you've got the emergence of Dwight Howard now in Houston, and the Clippers are getting better. Where do you think that they will rank up at the end of the season? The, the Western Conference is by far the hardest out of the two of them. Yeah. Um, and it will come down to, to injuries and how the team performs. I Realistically, I can see them finishing top three again during regular season they've finally broken their hoodoo with the grizzlies so uh i i would be confident with a semi-final finals run again um as you've already mentioned oklahoma will be fit and had westbrook been fit for when they played them it may have been a completely different ball game Mm -hmm. Uh, another thing that i I, I like about the Spurs. You've already mentioned the agent. That I, it's always funny when you see a DMP old next to Duncan's name in a bo- in a box score. But they, I can imagine them this year. They're taking a different approach. Like I don't really think that they're going to be going for the home court advantage that much. I think they're going to be resting quite a lot and maybe drop down to the fifth, fourth seed, but only so they can be be ma- at maximum health for the playoffs. I don't. I don't. Would you have a problem with that? Not at all. Not at all. They, obviously, they didn't have home court in the finals. Um, they granted they had it all through the the playoff runs, but no, I, I don't I don't think it's a bigger deal as it, it used to be. But the flip side of that same coin, it also depends who you get drawn against because some of the other teams have got such passionate fans, and that must be really difficult to play in come playoff time. So, um, I I would settle for a, a fit team over um home court advantage yeah well let's talk about it you said that you've been you've seen this have you seen the spurs in the at&t center uh-huh what is the crowd like there because on tv it just looks it looks like everyone's up for it and it's, it's a mental atmosphere it is electric even before the game starts um just the the atmosphere building around the arena as you're going in it's it's your typical 
I've not been during the playoffs, and obviously playoff atmospheres are completely different to regular season atmospheres. I know that sounds a bit contradictory, but but they are. You can hear that when you're watching the games on the TV. Um, but it's it's the same. The first quarter, dead passionate, dead involved, and then. The second and third quarter, yeah, not so much. Maybe if a nice play comes up. But then the fourth quarter, they are on top of everything. The place is buzzing to the point of you get the hairs on the back of your necks and your arms stand up. You know, when an atmosphere in any sport or, or any venue does that to you, you know you've got a good atmosphere. Yeah, it de- as you said, it definitely comes through across the TV. And I always think that is, it's definitely up there for atmosphere. Even And even when... I've seen a few games of them in the past when they weren't that good and it's still a high. Even when they were losing before, like Duncan came and stuff like that, it was still sold out. And Texas, obviously everything is bigger in Texas. Um, Indeed. <laughs> they have a sign when you go to Texas that says that when you arrive at Dallas Airport. <laughs> um, well, we've gone through this uh, upcoming season. How? Let's talk a, bit, a little bit more further into the future. How many more years do you think Duncan's got and Ginobili I think those three because you need to put Parker into that equation as well realistically two I I, I would say two at, at a push you might see Duncan on the bench and he'll be a bench player in the third season but realistically I would say two to a high level and yeah. when when it does come time for Duncan to I guess, hang up his sneakers and stuff. Do you think Pop will go out with him? There has been rumours that Pop will finish when Duncan retires. No. I I don't think he will go the same time as Duncan because that would be far too much of a change and transition for the Spurs to go through. I wouldn't be surprised if Duncan went and then maybe one or two seasons later Popovich went. Um, but I, I think it would be disastrous for the franchise if the two of them were to step down at the same time. Yeah, and um, unless yeah. unless Popovich retires, Duncan retires from playing, yeah, and is announced as a new coach. <laughs> no, I think that would I think that would be perfect because it you don't see it that much anymore. The same player playing for the same franchise, and the Spurs have really kept well three big names just stuck to their roster for, and even the coach. It's just it's great to see. You don't see that much anymore. You saw Paul Pierce this off-season going to Brooklyn, and I know he may not have a few more years left, but it's going to be weird watching him play in a different uniform. But we've never got that with the Spurs, which is great. It, it, well, just going on to, to the Boston, Boston must be in turmoil at the minute. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they lost Doc Rivers. They lost Garnett. They lost Pierce. You know, are they going to keep hold of Rondo? You, you don't know what's going to happen, so... Boston are going to be in complete turmoil for this season. You know, it's, they're going to struggle to try and get a unit together, get any sort of um, cohesion in the franchise. And and it's those things I want to avoid in the Spurs. You know, if if Duncan goes, okay, Duncan goes, just make make one drastic change. Don't make two. Don't make three. And that's exactly what Boston have done. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's tanking to be honest for the next draft and that, but. I know it's going to be it's going to be absolutely painful to watch Pierce, who is one of my favourite players, just from his cockiness and his clutchness. To see him playing for some, especially the same comp, same division, so that means that they're going to have four games in against yeah. the Celtics. But yeah, well, that's if there's anything else more you want to add. I think that's done for the Spurs now. Is there anything more you want to add? I, I think we've um, I think we've covered that. Uh, you, you've you've mentioned George Gervin, David Robertson. I think the only other only other player that you would want to maybe talk about, you know, that there's there's two that come to mind. Bruce Bowen, you've heard him on NBA Lockout. Um, he he was a, a dominant perimeter shooter, and who is now a coach, Avery Johnson as well. Let's not forget that that he was at the Spurs. So um, you know, two two players that I think we should, even if we just mention their names. It just goes to show the, the sort of caliber of player the Spurs have had over the last 20 and 30 years worth of basketball. And Sean Elliott, I guess you could throw in there just from his game winners that really did count in the finals. True. But we have got some questions. Uh, we'll start off with the first one. Adam, and I guess this is, I will di- I direct this one to you. How do you think Stephen Jackson would have altered the finals if he, if he would not have been released? 
Um, I don't think he would have made that much of a difference because we they released him to get McGrady. Now, McGrady didn't play much, but if you were going to play either one of them, I would have McGrady playing over Jackson. Now, you've got to bear in mind, Jackson was a Spurs player in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was early 2000s he was at Spurs. And he only maybe started half of his games. And he was only there for two seasons. So Popovich knows him well as a player. And I don't think you would waive somebody that you would have coached and played with for those two seasons if you thought that Tracy McGrady couldn't give you something more or something different. So I don't think Stephen Jackson would have made any difference on the outcome of the finals. And I also think if Jackson was there, he might have taken. If if he did take up more minutes, you might not have seen the emergence of Danny Green hitting them shots or Quan Leonard for us to some extent playing defensively. But Possibly. it is it is good to wonder sometimes, and it is a what if league in some occasions. But I think you've got a question that's pretty much directed straight at you, Andy. Well, there, there's two on Twitter from Howard, aka Welsh Benno. Um, First of all, as we've already mentioned, NBA 2K13 is currently free on PlayStation Plus. And he's asked us, what team should he start with? Because he's not really a basketball fan. He listens to the show and it's prompted him to download it and and play the game. So he's wanting our advice on what would be a good team to start off with. So what would you recommend, Matt? I guess the Miami Heat up there because they are probably one of the easiest play, get, uh, teams to play with because LeBron's just an absolute beast on there but if you go in just for pure fun out of the game I'd probably go with the Clippers I, I was going to say that the, the Clippers or the Heat w- would be would be the guesses or maybe even the Lakers because you know it's a computer game after all and as much as they didn't have the great season they do have some great players in that edition of the game um, but also Look at the um, the pro mode because what you can also do is you can put yourself in the game, build yourself up, and you can go through a draft and you could get anybody. You don't know what team you'll end up with, but it depends how much you want to get out of the game. Yeah, definitely. His his second question is is directly at me and uh, not related to basketball in any way, shape, or form. Um, I am in. Uh, my secret life that's not all over basketball. I'm a Star Wars fan, and I will happily admit that to folk. And last weekend, I went to um, Star Wars Celebration Europe in Germany, and uh, Benno must have been looking at my Twitter feed to give me this question, and that was, following on from your recent exploits, how excited are you for the new Star Wars film, and what do I want to see? Um, Now, Matt, don't know if you're a Star Wars fan or not. I prefer it to Star Trek. Well, that's the correct answer. <laughs> and, I, I, <laughs> and I like the first three movies they put out. I wasn't a big fan of the other ones. Oh, whoa, whoa, hold on here. De- define that statement. What do you deem by the first three movies? I mean, the first three that came out. You uh, mean the original ones in the 70s yeah, yeah, and 80s? Yeah, yeah, oh, good, yeah, yeah, good yeah, man. I thought you were talking about those nonsense prequels. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> um, what am I excited for about uh, episode seven? Well, when we were at um, Celebration Europe, we had a chance to sit on a panel with Kathleen Kennedy, who is now the new head of Lucas, uh, taking over from George Lucas. So um, one of the things that she uh, was allowed to reveal was that uh, John Williams is going to be doing the music again, which is excellent. You can't have a Star Wars movie without that man. But one of the things that I'm looking forward to, I want to see um, the new spaceships, because uh, that's always a, a big fun part of Star Wars for me. And also with all of the the person. So I, I, I got to meet um, Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia and Boba Fett and Jango Fett. I want to know how these people, if at all, will make it into the, the movies as well. Who is your favorite character? Oh, that's, that's, that's a tricky one. I don't, I don't have a 
particular favorite character. As much as I've already ragged on the prequels, I do like the character of General Grievous from the third movie. Um, he's he's quite good. Han Solo as well is is also a cult classic. And I do have I bought some really nice bounty hunter art. So it's got the six bounty hunters from the Star Wars universe, and you can't go wrong with a bit of uh, Boba Fett. Not Jar Jar Binks. Uh, only on my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> right, I think I think we'll end it on that. To be honest. Um, yeah, it's been great fun, Andy, doing the State of the Franchise. Good to see a bit of passion about a team that's not... Uh, like, we've done State of Franchises. We did Philadelphia, and that was just a big moan. And I think Matt was uh, crapping his pants on, this, on the Lakers one. <laughs> so it's been good to see a bit of positivity in a State of the Franchise. Right, yeah, and- indeed. It's, it's been refreshing to get back on the show. I know I haven't been around the last couple of months. It's just obviously work commitments and travel commitments. Um, but I'm grounded now for the next little bit, so hopefully you'll hear my dulcet tones on the next couple of shows as well. And as always, you can follow the uh, the, the Twitter at, at Double Clutch Free, and you can follow the Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash the Double Clutch Podcast. The new site, I guess it's not that new anymore, but you can find that at the Double Clutch podcast.go.uk. And we want to hear from you which... Uh, state of the franchise to do next so you can do that by logging onto the facebook page the twitter and using the hashtag hashtag nba in the uk i've been matt bates you can follow me on twitter at bates991 and you can follow andy at big andy d that's b-i-g-a-n-d-i-d and yeah as always if you've got any more questions you can use that hashtag as well and i know it's the dog days of the nba but we will be trying to make, put a few more shows out just for random maybe random things like we did when we discussed the top 10 players and if anything else big happens in free agency but yeah let have a, have a, have some time off from the nba for a while and as always uh thanks for listening and goodbye see ya what is about to unfold a matchup between two powerful teams. Or is it more? What is to be won? The title, NBA champion, or something greater? On one hand, we stand to see the personification of longevity. 15 years of excellence. The San Antonio Spurs have won their first NBA championship. The 2003 title is about to have an exclamation point. The Spurs have won their third championship. Champions once again, their fourth title. Get the champagne ready, baby. On the other hand, we inch closer to a dynasty. The further fulfillment of an exuberant promise. Not two. Oh, wow. Not three. We believe we can win multiple championships. Consider the number of future Hall of Famers. Then ponder the debates. The greatest power forward ever. Dunk it inside. The big fundamental. The greatest sixth man ever. Left wing three for Manu. It's the Manu Trace. The greatest shooter ever. The greatest player ever. Oh, please! He is not from this planet. What transpires next will help determine which of those bold phrases ends with a question mark and which ends with a period. Tim Duncan runs headlong into the prediction he made on this very stage six years ago. This can be your league in a little while, but uh, I appreciate you giving us this here. Who could deny this has become LeBron's league? Four MVPs, a championship, and the de facto title, best player on the planet. After these games are over, Duncan and James will meet again. What will be said then? There is a level of triumph that can only be attained by defeating the standard bearer. And rarely do two opposing teams have that exact opportunity. With victory will come a trophy, a ring, a banner. But for these players, for these teams, for these NBA Finals, there is so much more.